Hello, everyone. My name is Yang. In this podcast, I'm going to introduce you to Chapter Two of Why Does Inequality Matter? This chapter is called Equal Concern. Equal concern as an objection to inequality, as Scanlon puts it, apply only to inequalities that result from the failure of that agent to fulfill the obligation of equal concern. To all those to whom it is owed, for example, if a municipal government provides a much lower level of road paving for the A district than it provides for the B district, and the reason is because that the political or religious views of citizens in B district supports the government, then this inequality will violate the equal concern requirement. That is. For Scanlon, equal concern means that some agent has an obligation to provide benefit equally to people in certain groups. To illustrate this argument, I want to further divide equal concern into three parts. First, is what is the agent that has this equal concern obligation? Second, what is the exact meaning meaning of equal concern? That is, how Scanlon defined it. And why do we need this idea to evaluate inequality? Third, if we need to balance equal concern requirement with other values, what factors do we need to take into consideration? Okay, the first part, as we know that equal concern presupposes an obligation on some agent, we need to ask, ask, what agent will have this obligation? To put it another word. Under what circumstances will equal concern apply? Scanlon doesn't give a general criteria here, yet he gives some examples that under these circumstances, against agent will have an obligation to provide equal concern. It is fair for him not giving clear criteria here, because what he wants to argue is not when equal when will equal concern apply in real world, but what. Is equal concern and how it provides objection to inequality. One clear example about the agent is the government. The reason Scanlon offers about government is that if the powers that governments exercise, such as making and enforcing laws, rest on the benefits that they provide for their citizens, this must be benefits for all of their citizens. Because all of them are required to obey the law, otherwise, the others will have no reason to accept this justification for powers of government, because they don't receive the benefits the government should provide for them. As for private institution, Scanlon gives an example of foundation. If a foundation is set up to provide research and treatment for a certain disease. Such as coronavirus, it is not a justified objection for not being concerned with those who suffer from other diseases, such as influenza. But it may be open to objection if it gains contribute contributions and sought tax-free status on this general ground, but confined itself to provide aid only for people who live in a certain area, neglecting those who suffer from the same disease as well. Elsewhere, the difference between an example of government and private foundation is 
The latter seems to be grounded in the class of the donors, rather than being something owed to the beneficiaries. Another example is a labor union set up and supported by its members. It seems plausible to say that the union is subject to a requirement that is its decisions and policies should be justifiable, taking the interest of all its members into account and counting them equally. The example of a labor union is more similar to the government than the one of private foundation. The second part I want to discuss about the equal concern requirement is its content and its significance. That is, what is the obligation of equal concern? And why is it necessary to object to inequality? I think we can see equal concern as having equal rights. The obligation that an institution has toward its citizens is to treat them in an equal way. However, this concept will face a challenge that this idea of equal rights might be empty. Because we don't need this comparative concept of equal rights to object to the violation of right. That is, if the wrongfulness of what might appear to be violations of equal concern can always be expanded as a violation of some underlying non-comparative rights, we will no longer need the comparative concept of right because it adds nothing to this objection. For example, in America, the government should provide people with procedural safeguards against wrongful conviction. One way to see the legal system unjust is in this non-comparative non non way that poor and especially black defendants have insufficient protection against being wrongful convicted of crimes. They often have inadequate legal representation and are frequently pressured into plea bargains that they should not accept. The failure of providing poor and black defendants sufficient protection violates the right of procedural safeguards, which is non-comparative. Nonetheless, Scanlon argues that equal concern, which is a comparative right, is of significance. That is, if there is a level of protection that the legal system should provide for everyone to not violate the non-comparative right, and the legal system indeed guarantees this level of protection, it will not violate the non-comparative procedural right. However, if such a system above this level of protection provides an even higher level of procedural protection for some citizens than for others, then it will still violate the equal concern requirement, which is comparative. Now, consider the case of racial profiling. If in the practice of evidence likely criminal activity to justify stopping and searching the cars, the level of evidence used by police to stop and search black drivers is much lower than the evidence to stop and search white drivers. This clearly violates a comparative requirement of equal concern. If this practice fails to meet the minimum level of evidence to stop the car, regardless of the driver's color, it may at the same time be a non-comparative mistake. Okay, the last part is, if we need to balance equal concern requirements with other values, what factors do we need to take into consideration? That is, under what circumstances can inequalities that fails to meet the requirement of equal concern 
be justified. According to Scanlon, the first important thing is to clarify that the requirement of equal concern is not an attitude that an agent needs to keep when he formulates the policy. The requirement of equal concern asks an agent to provide reasons for justifying its policy. Thus, agent's reason is rather important than its intent. Second, Scanlon argues that the reason that allows unequal treatment should be a good reason. Whether a reason is good enough relating to questions such as if, a une- if whether the unequal treatment is rather significant under these circumstances, and what equal treatment does it want to balance this, this will all make a difference. For example, the reason for the justification of giving unequal numbers of apples to different people can be given more easily than the one for giving unequal level of protection of procedural safeguards. Besides, Scanlon also points out that the justification of unequal treatment may not involve give greater weight to the interest of some than to comparable interests of others. That is, the unequal treatment of some goods will not be justified by outweighing the requirement of equal concern itself. Rather, the way that these considerations are balanced against the interests of individuals shows that their interests are receiving equal consideration even when the benefits provided are not the same. I think that Scanlon distinguished equal concern into two levels. One is the surface level, that is, the equal treatment of some practical outcome, and the other is the abstract level, discussing the balance between unequal treatment and equal concern. Scanlon seems to argue that, although some decision about the distribution of outcome seems to be not equal to everyone, that is, it seems to violate the equal concern at the surface, surface level, it can still meet the equal concern at an abstract level and not violating the equal rights of those who receive less if it takes everyone into equal consideration in advance. And it is the abstract level of equal concern that cannot be overturned and can be an objection to equality offered by Scanlon. That is all for today. Let me summarize today's content. As Scanlon argues, equal concern as an objection to inequality apply to inequalities that result from the failure of that agent to fulfill the obligation of equal concern to all those to whom it is owed. First, the agent who has this obligation can be a public power or private institution. There are some examples in this podcast. Second, equal concern as a comparative right has its value, and it cannot be fully replaced by non-comparative right. Third, if the agent needs to balance equal concern requirements with other values, the agent should take this factor into consideration. First, the attitude the agent has toward the policy is not an important factor. Rather, reasons that the agent provides for justifying the policy are substantial. Second, what kind of inequalities that the policy will cause is also crucial to help us to make the balances. At the same time, while the practical outcome might be unequal, the agent should take the equal consideration of everyone in advance so that this policy can still meet the requirement of equal concern of everyone. 
which I call the equal concern at an abstract level. And this level of equal concern, not the surface level, is what I think Scanlon wants to provide for objecting to inequality. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. If you have any question, please contact me in any way. See you next time. Bye.